we were engaged at the time and still trying to figure out what we were good at and what we weren't good at, what we should try to attempt and what we shouldn't try to attempt. And my wife, Brooklyn, was driving her grandfather's Chevy Blazer at the time. And all of a sudden, one day, we noticed that there was some fluid leaking from underneath the car. And so we took it to somebody, and, and they looked at it, and what they, dis- what they discovered was there was a small hole in the transfer case underneath the car. And they said, it's going to be a couple thousand dollar repair, and Brooke was in grad school at the time, and it was her grandpa's car, and all of that. So the individual looking at it said, what you could do is take it to an auto parts place, get some JB Weld, and put that on the, on the small hole. And then that would be able to hold it, and you probably wouldn't have to go through with a couple thousand dollar repair. And so we, we looked at each other and said, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, I'll help you. So we drive to the store, and we pick up JB Weld, never used it before, ring it up, take it back to her house, and are reading the instructions on the back. And this is long before the age of every car repair you need, uh, you need, you could find on a six-minute video on YouTube that takes me six hours, but it was well before those days. And so we're reading the instructions on the back of the JB Weld container, and you have to mix something up. And so we mix it up, and then we carry it outside to the car, and she says, I'll take it. And I said, I got it. She said, are, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I got it. I, she's like, I'll just go. I'm like, no, I, I felt like I'd be losing my man card if I let my fiance at the time crawl under the car and fix the problem while I just stood there. I was like, great job. You know, I like, I just, like, I can't let that happen. So I'll take it. I, so I go underneath and I put a, put a little bit on and she said, do you have it on? I said, yeah, it's on. She said, all right. And I said, but here's the problem. I see this little piece of metal hanging down. It it, it looks rusted. I think if we just kind of crimp that little piece of metal back up there and then put put some JB Weld over top of that, it would be an even better seal. She said, just leave it alone. It's okay. I'm like, go grab me a hammer. And so she did. She went in and she grabbed a hammer and I was still under the car and she came back out and she was holding the hammer. I said, here, pass me the hammer. She said, I think it's okay. I said, just, there's nothing that could really go that wrong. Just hand me the hammer and we'll make it better. She said, it's already okay. And, and, you know, we're, we're engaged at the time, so you're really not like fighting at this point. Like now if we had this problem, I'd be like, go get me a hammer. She'd be like, you're out of your mind and lock me out of the house. But you know, we were engaged at this point in time. And so she hands me the hammer and I promise both of her hands were still gripping the hammer as I had one hand on the hammer and and she let go and I went under and I hit that little piece once and it didn't really do anything. And I hit it twice and it didn't really do anything. And I'm just going to give it a little tap the third time. And when I did, the head of the hammer went up into the transfer case. And now that little tiny hole was now the circumference of the hammer head. And we had a much bigger problem on our hands. You know, in life, when things are maybe a little off, but you fixed them to a certain point where they still work, 
it's generally best just to leave it alone. Just leave it alone. But sometimes we get fixated on those things. Sometimes we get fixated on those things and we want to tweak them just a little bit. But seldom when things are going really well do we think, hey, you know what? I want to blow this up. I want to stop what's working really well. I want to crawl under my car while nothing's going wrong with a hammer and just see what I can. We don't do that because things are, things are operating as they should. We leave things alone when things are going well. And yet today what we're going to see as we continue our look at Acts chapter 8 is that God does things differently than we do sometimes. And if you have ever wondered your, your worth and your value, if you've ever wondered in a world of 7 to 8 billion people, how much do I really matter? How important am I? What is my worth? What is my significance? I can't answer that question for you from a societal from a societal point of view. But I can answer that question for you definitively of how much value and how much worth you, you, as an individual, you who God uniquely made, how much value and worth you have according to your Creator. And we're going to do all of that today as we look at the last part of Acts chapter 8. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in whatever app store you utilize. It's a great app with a number of great features. And one of the features within the app is called Events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in Lakeside Community Church Algoma. And you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26 here in just a minute. If you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and the verses will be available for you on the screen below. Before we dive in, I want to remind you where we've been so far in, in Acts chapter 8. Last week, we saw the early part of Acts chapter 8. Persecution has now come to Jerusalem. And the early church is experiencing persecution. Somebody has been killed as a result of their faith in Jesus. People have been thrown into jail simply because they, they gave their lives to follow Jesus. And their message of love and hope and redemption was, was spreading. And people didn't like it. So they were imprisoned all because they made the decision to follow Jesus. And so some Christians stayed in Jerusalem and some Christians spread. They spread out to other, other parts of the world. And when they did, they continued to proclaim the hope of Jesus. And one of those individuals was a man named Philip. And Philip went to Samaria. And Samaria was a city. And last week we saw how that city just exploded for the gospel of Jesus. How people were conveying the hope of Jesus. Lives were being transformed. People were following after God. And the Spirit of God came and were transforming people's lives. God was doing the supernatural and the miraculous through people. And things were just exploding. Things were exploding in Samaria as the message of Jesus was spreading. And that's where we left off, and that's the context in which we pick up today in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, where we read these words. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So in the midst of Samaria, just on fire, in the midst of, of lives being transformed and, and 
people making decisions to follow Jesus. In the midst of all of that, an angel of the Lord appears to Philip. Philip is the one that God used to get all of this started. And in the midst of all of this, says, Philip, I want you to leave. I want you to leave what God is doing. I want you to leave where you see all of this massive results, all of these massive results where people are following after Jesus and lives are being transformed and hope is being understood. And Philip, I want you to leave all of this. Leave all of this, and I want you to go to the desert. Think about what God has just called Philip to do. To leave the the front lines of a successful ministry. To go to the desert. In, In our economy, this makes no sense. Stay where you see person after person after person making making the decision to follow after Jesus. Stay where you see the work of God on full display. Stay and see what God is going to continue to do. But that's not what God calls Philip to do. God calls Philip to step out and to leave all of this behind to go to the desert. And I've just got to be honest with you. In, in our mindset, in our economy, this doesn't make any sense. If, if I'm writing the support checkout to support the missionary and they're sending me the reports of what's going on in Samaria, I'm excited about I'm excited about writing the check. I'm excited about supporting the work. I'm excited about the lives that are being transformed. I'm excited about what God is doing. And then when they send me the update of I'm leaving all of that to go to the middle of the desert because God called me to do it, I'm like, huh? I don't know that I'm that excited about writing that check. Because in in my mind, in my understanding, this is a move that makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense from the human standpoint to leave something that's successful and firing on all cylinders where you see a lot of fruit, you see God working, and you're telling me that God's calling you to the desert? I'm telling you to get some rest because you're burnt out, but this doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly what God called him to do. To step out and to leave behind everything that God is doing in Samaria and to go to the desert. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip listens to what God called him to do. He doesn't stay and argue. He goes. He goes where God has called him to go. And we're now in, Luke introduces us here. Luke's the author of Acts. He introduces us here to another individual who just so happens to be on that desert road. How much do you matter to God? This is the answer right here. Because make no mistake about it, every soul in Samaria matters to God. Every single soul. 
but so does the soul of a solo traveler in the middle of a desert road. Does God love the people and want the people of Samaria to follow after Him? Yes. Does God love this Ethiopian individual who's out in the middle of nowhere? The answer is also yes. And this is how much God values each and every one of us. That God calls Philip away from a successful ministry, from from a season where, where people's lives are being transformed, they're hearing the hope of gospel, great things are happening. And he calls him out of that ministry to go to the desert to have an audience with one person. Why? Because every soul in Samaria matters, but so does this individual. That's the worth and that's the value that God puts on you. That God calls Philip out of that. And now we're introduced to this Ethiopian who happens to be a eunuch. And we don't know if that's from birth or we don't know if that's a result of battle. Oftentimes it was a conquering strategy that when an enemy country or territory would come in, they would slaughter a lot of people who fought against them, or if they didn't slaughter them, they would castrate them, and they would then take the young women and and unite the young women with the conquering army. So we're not sure entirely how this occurred, but we just know this is his position in life. He's also highly intelligent. He's essentially the CFO of the country. He's in charge of of the entire treasury of the queen, of of everything that she has. And we know that he's spiritually seeking. We know that he is here and he's spiritually seeking and he's experienced success. And in the midst of nowhere, God unites him and Philip in this audience. And the Spirit, verse 29 tells us, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So not only does God prompt Philip out to the middle of nowhere, but now there's this chariot and God prompts Philip to go over and to join the chariot. And here's the question that I really want you to wrestle with this morning is what is God prompting you to do? What is God prompting you to do? God has not put you where he has put you by accident. So what is God prompting you to do? And sometimes in life, we, when through seasons of prayer and studying Scripture, conversations with individuals who are discerning, you know, ways that God communicates, we just we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, here's what God is calling us to do. And sometimes it makes all the sense in the world to us. And that's when it's fun. That's when it's fun to follow after God. That's when, quite frankly, it doesn't take that much faith. Because we, we see the plan, and we're like, yep, that makes sense. But sometimes, sometimes God prompts us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. Sometimes God prompts us to do things that, quite frankly, from the human standpoint, make no sense in the world. It makes no sense for Philip to be in this situation, except for this fact, that Philip is exactly in the center of God's will, and that is the best place you want to be in life. And there will be times where that makes all the sense in the world to you. And there will be times where you just scratch your head and you look around and say, God, I have no idea what you're up to. I have no idea why you called me to this. I have no idea why you've called me here. 
I'm going to follow you. And those are the moments of faith. Those are the seasons when it's really difficult. And the question that I really want you to wrestle with is what is God prompting you to do? And it may be something that makes all the sense in the world, and it's obvious and it's easy. Or it may be something that doesn't make any sense to you. And you, quite frankly, could list a thousand reasons why it shouldn't be or why God should call you to something else. But the most fulfilling life you can possibly experience is the life where you are right in the center of the will of God. And verse 30 tells us Philip's response. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? I want you to notice Philip's response. He isn't out there in the middle of the desert kicking the dirt, talking about how long it's been since he had a drink of water, thinking back to the golden days of Samaria where he saw God working in, in such a grand way. All of the people surrendering their lives to Jesus the, the Spirit of God coming on people and seeing the supernatural and the miraculous occur. Thinking back there, no, what Philip does, he isn't arguing with God. God, I've never met this person in the chariot. I don't know who they are. And if you just walk up to some stranger's chariot, you're going to get shot these days. It's not safe. He doesn't have that conversation. He runs over to the chariot. And he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. And his question is simply this. Do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? And verse 31 goes on to tell us. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And his response is, I don't understand. This, this is hard. I don't understand this. And let me, just, let me just pause here and, and say this. The, you know, sometimes reading Scripture is easy, and sometimes it's, it's very straightforward, sometimes it's easy to understand, but there are portions of Scripture, there, there are sections where it's really, quite frankly, difficult to understand. And you have people who have dedicated their lives, and theologians, they've dedicated their lives to doing nothing but searching and studying out the Scriptures. And there are people who love Jesus just as much as other people who really love Jesus and have spent their times and who are highly educated, and they look and they study a passage, and they come to, to differing interpretations of that passage. And it doesn't mean that somebody loves Jesus more than the other person. It just means that in this instance, it isn't as clear-cut and it isn't as straightforward as, as some other places in Scripture. And there are going to be those areas that you come upon. And what I want to encourage you is don't quit reading Scripture when you find yourself there. Don't feel like you can't tell somebody about that. Be honest about it. And don't think that Google's your friend because there's a lot of horrible theology on Google. And so what I would encourage you to do when you find yourself in those circumstances, in your, those situations, is go to a trusted resource or come to us. That's why we're here. We're here to help you in your spiritual journey. We're here to help you understand. And we recognize that there are some things in Scripture that are harder to understand than other things in Scripture. Now, 
some things are, are very straightforward. But there are some things that we have really good, we have really good interpretations on, and we have really good guesses on, but quite frankly, there are some things that we're still uncertain about. And we'll be honest with you and say, hey, here's what we think, and here's why we think it, but we can't definitively say that. Other things will say Scripture's definitive, and it's crystal clear, and here is, is what it says. But don't ever, feel, don't ever feel embarrassed or ashamed about that. Sometimes people will call or they'll send us an email and they'll say, hey, I'm really sorry to bother you, but could you help me understand? Like, bother us? It's why we're here. Like, that's not a bother at all. It is our privilege to do that. And so I just want you to know, if you find yourself there, we are here to serve you. It is something, it is something that like, brings us joy to do. So it's not a bother. It's not like, oh, well... I have a lot of more important things to do today, but somebody needs to understand about Jesus. Well, I guess I'll help them. You're like, no, it's not a bother at all. It is our privilege. And so I just want to just put that out there, that there are those things that, that are challenging and you might not understand or you might want some more clarification on. We are here. You are not bothering us. It is our privilege to help you. And that's what we see Philip doing here. That Philip, in the midst of everything that's been going on in his life, is called to the desert. He runs up to the chariot to one person, and he hears him reading Isaiah, and he says, do you understand? And the response is, I don't. I don't get it. I don't understand. And then we continue. Now, the passage of the Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? So the Ethiopian individual was reading from Isaiah 53. He's reading from Isaiah 53, which hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene in the flesh, goes on and it prophesies the crucifixion of Christ. Before Jesus has even been born of the Virgin Mary. Now, Jesus has always been eternal because he is a member of the Godhead. He's a member of the Trinity. But before he took on human flesh in the incarnation, before he was born in Bethlehem, hundreds of years before that, Isaiah the prophet wrote down these words. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading these words. And he's asking, are these about Isaiah who didn't always have the warmest reception amongst his contemporaries? Or are these words about somebody else? That's his question. And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip goes on and explains to him the passage. He explains how this was a prophecy, how hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, this was letting people know that God's work is not done, and God has a plan, and God's plan of redemption is in motion, and they couldn't see it all at the time. But that didn't mean it wasn't ongoing. And so Philip explains all of this as he explains the passage and the good news about Jesus to this Ethiopian man. He explains all of that to him. And if you read the snippet that we just read, what is good news about this? Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter? And like a lamb to its shear is silent? 
So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. How is this good news? And the answer is, this is good news because the tomb is empty. This is good news because Jesus was abused. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was maligned. Jesus was, he was beaten and he was bloodied and he was battered. But the reason it's good news is because the tomb is empty and we have hope. And the hope for us is that God loves us enough that even in spite of our sin and our rebellion against Him, that Jesus on the cross, He took our shame. He took our rebellion. He took our sin upon Himself. And if that's where the story ended, then this isn't good news. But the fact of the matter is the tomb is empty, which proves once and for all that God is greater than our sin. He's greater than our regrets. He's greater than our mistakes. And he offers to us forgiveness and grace through what his son Jesus has accomplished on our behalf on the cross. That's the good news. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by this. Because we live in a society and we live in a culture where good news, we don't see it. And the reason is because good news doesn't earn clicks. It doesn't generate revenue. But if, if you're here and you have a horrible outlook on the world, and you have a horrible outlook in life, I can improve your outlook and I can, I can improve the way you feel about things in one easy step. Turn off the news. Just turn off the news. And I'm not advocating that we bury our heads in, our, in the sand, and I'm not advocating that we be uninformed. But just think about what we saw repeatedly on, on, on the last week of our lives. The, the Ocean Gate tragedy, the constant coverage of, of that tragedy of, of the five individuals who lost their lives, and then the memes that came out, and then the war on the memes of whether or not you should joke about tragedy, and whether or not it was too soon, and is it ever okay, is it ever too soon, all of that going on. We've had a former president arrested, we've had a president's son face charges, and depending on what side of the aisle you're on, one of those is justified, and the other's a travesty, and vice versa, and, and just the constant coverage, and arguing, and bickering, Good news doesn't generate revenue or else you'd see it. And in a society and a culture that is just exhausted and is just inundated with negativity and story after story after story of how the world's going to hell, we have the good news of the fact that we don't have to join them because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And as people that have experienced that hope, this should be our rallying cry that every day we remember we have that hope hope. We have the hope of good news. We don't have to walk around defeated. We don't have to walk around constantly worried about every little detail and every development of what's going on today because we recognize this world is broken and it's flawed and it's not the source of our ultimate hope. And as people that have experienced the ultimate source of hope through a relationship with our creator, through what his son Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, let us remember that we have the good news. And this world desperately needs it. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? He has a, he has a desire, and his desire is to be baptized. It's, it's post-conversion. And, and we get to verse 37, and I just want to give you a, a little disclaimer on, on verse 37. A lot of translations don't have verse 37, and so I want to go back to how we were originally, how we originally were given Scripture. And all Scripture is, is started with, with God. All Scripture is God-breathed, but God, through His divine plan, utilized supernaturally through His Spirit, through, through human authors, a way of writing letters. The Bible is a collection of a bunch of different letters and books. And God would inspire, fully inspire, through His Spirit, human authors. And the author of, of Acts is Luke. Now, those original manuscripts, because everything was written down that was divinely inspired, those, originally, those original manuscripts were divinely inspired. And so those, oftentimes, especially in the New Testament, those letters, much of the New Testament, was letters to churches that God utilized His Holy Spirit to, to record through human authors. Well, those letters were written on, on paper. And so paper would begin to tear and it would begin to fade. And what would happen is, is there was a rigorous process where people would copy the original manuscripts. And it was always more than one scribe, and there was an overseer as well, and they would copy down the manuscripts. There, there was no digitization, obviously. There was no printing press or anything like that. So every copy had to be hand-recorded, and there was a whole process that went into that process. Well... On those manuscripts, occasionally there would be notations. Similar if you have a study Bible, how you can look at some of the verses and go underneath and, and there's a note, or, or sometimes they're right in the margin next to, that, next to the verse itself. And most likely, Acts 8.37 is a, is a note. It's most likely not fully inspired by God. And the reason that I spend this time is because we take very seriously when we open up Scripture together that all Scripture is inspired by God. I mean, you know, what, what I or somebody else up here says, that's important, but it's nowhere near the importance of Scripture. Because we are not divine, and Scripture is the heartbeat of God on full display for us to read and to understand. And so... Acts 8.37 is important because it's most likely a note that gives more context to what's going on in the story, but it's probably not inspired. And we just want to be very clear about that so we understand that what we're about to read may or probably isn't fully inspired as the rest of Acts chapter 8, but it gives us context, and that's why we go over it. If you have a, a Bible with you, though, it's probably not going to be listed in the Bible you have. You probably have a, a little icon either at the end of verse 36 or the beginning of verse 38, and then down in the margins, it would record it there. Or if it is printed in your Bible, it probably has a notation on it that this isn't found in the earliest manuscripts that we have. But this is what Acts 8.37 says. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. That's verse 38. 
into the water. And this is why, why we baptize the way we do here at Lakeside. We don't baptize kids and the reason babies. The reason we don't baptize babies is because we see baptism in the New Testament as always being post-conversion. We always see that being post-conversion. And that's the reason we do child dedication instead of baptism here for babies. We see baptism be something that is done after an individual decides for themselves that they want to follow after Jesus. And it's also the reason that we fully dunk people. That's, that's called immersion, to be fully immersed in the water. And the reason that we do that is we believe it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of a couple things. One, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Picture when you get in and, and, and then going under the water and then coming out is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. But it's also a picture of what God supernaturally and spiritually does in us. That Scripture tells us we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sin. But we have been made, we have been made alive in Jesus. That we are a new creation at the moment we accept Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And we believe that baptism is a beautiful picture, both of what Jesus has done and also the transformation that has gone on in us. And so that's the reason that we fully dunk people. And if you haven't been baptized, but you've made the decision to follow Jesus, I would just tell you, stop, stop waiting. Because notice what happens. He makes the decision as Isaiah 53 is explained to him, the Ethiopian man. He makes the decision then to be baptized. And notice what there isn't. There's no test. There's no demonstrative life change. What there is, is he's made the decision to follow after Jesus. And so if you've made the decision to follow after Jesus, and you profess that faith, we're ready to dunk you. And we're excited to do it. And there are going to be some people that say, oh, well, that person was baptized there. And let me tell you a little bit about their, their story. Let me tell you what's going on in their life. And you know what we say? Praise God. Praise God that he rescued them. Praise God that in the midst of their struggles, they found hope. Praise God. And you know, the reality is this. You, you might be able to point at somebody else's sin because it looks differently than your sin, but the reality is every single one of us is human, and every single one of us struggles. And if maybe, you're on, maybe you've made the decision to follow Jesus, but in your mind you thought, I'm just not ready yet. I'm not ready to be baptized until my life looks like this. I would just encourage you, no, it's time for you to be baptized because if you're waiting for your life to look like this, you're going to die and not be baptized. Because let me tell you a little secret. The closer you get to God, the more you recognize how far you have to go. And the closer you get to God, you recognize I'm further and further than I ever thought before. There is no litmus test. It's I've made the decision to follow Jesus and I'm going to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Jesus said, repent, believe, and be baptized. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've made that decision and you haven't taken that next step, the, the, time, is, the time is now. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Philip is supernaturally taken away. And the eunuch, he continues on in his way, full of joy of what God has done. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That God calls Philip out of Samaria, 
a thriving, successful city, a thriving, successful center of ministry to go to the desert because God loves and values each and every one. And then God supernaturally carries them away and calls them to go somewhere else. And on his way, what does he do? He's faithful to continue to proclaim the hope of Jesus no matter where God calls him to go. God has not put you where God has put you by accident. May we be the same. May we be people who are obedient no matter where God calls us to go to proclaim the hope of Jesus to love people well, to be eager to share that in this world and society that is inundated with bad news, we have the best news because we have hope. And if you've experienced that hope and you haven't taken the next step, the time is now for you to take that next step and for you to be baptized. I'll be available out in the lobby after the service. I would love nothing more than to talk with you about taking that next step, about being baptized. And if you're on the fence, you're like, I, I've been searching. If you have questions, we're here to answer them. But if your questions have been answered, today's the day and the time is now to surrender your life to Jesus and follow after him. And if that's something you need to do, then I would invite you just to pray this prayer back in your heart that I'm about to pray. And there's nothing magical or special about the words but it's the heart and the meaning behind them as you ask God to forgive you and receive the grace of His Son, Jesus. So if that's true of you, I'd invite you right now just to pray this back in your heart. God, I've made mistakes. I've fallen short. I've sinned. I need your forgiveness and I need your grace. And I know that even in spite of my mistakes, you still love me. So much so that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And God, I know that the good news is that the tomb is empty. He rose again. So God, I want to accept that grace. I want to experience that forgiveness. And I want to be set free. God, I want to live my life for you. So come into my life. Shape me. Change me. God, we pray for those that have already made that decision in their lives previous to today. And I pray, God, that we would recognize the incredible opportunity we have to partner in the work that you call us to do. And God, sometimes you will call us to places that make all the sense in the world. And sometimes you will call us to places where we don't understand what you're doing. 
God, especially then, give us the faith to follow through. God, I pray that we would be people that are eager to go wherever you call us to go, to do whatever you call us to do. God, we don't believe it's an accident that you've positioned people here. We don't believe it's an accident that you have positioned Lakeside here. And so, God, we pray, we pray that you would allow us to see this city transformed. God, we pray that you would allow us to see this region transformed. God, we pray that we would lift high the name of Jesus. God, that your name would be magnified in this place and you would use us in a powerful and a mighty way. God, it's not about our glory, but God, as we proclaim your fame, we pray that we would see people transformed. We promise, God, we will be obedient to wherever you call us to go and whatever you call us to do. Work through us in a mighty way, Jesus, for your glory, we ask. In your name, amen.